Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I am your host. And today I have possibly one of the most special guests I've ever had on the show. I am so excited about this. I have Lieutenant Colonel Waldo Waldman on the show today. And if you've not heard this guy's story, stick around. It's going to blow your mind. And, and listen, do me a favor, do your friends a favor, do your family a favor and share this out to everybody that you know. Let's get this thing going. We'll be right back. And we're back. Let me bring Colonel Waldo Waldman on. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Ken. Happy Thursday. I, I was texting my nephew last night, who's an F-16 pilot as well. And I said, do I call him Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel, or Waldo? What's the respectful thing to do? And he said, Colonel should work. <laughs> I'm flexible. I won't share what, what my twin brother and my wife call me on occasion, but uh, yeah. <laughs> It is such an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. I thank you for coming on. And uh, my buddy, Adam Marburger, I guess he met you and spoke with you at um, somewhere, some event somewhere. He he FaceTimed me last night. He's like, you need to shut up. You do not have him on your show. I said, yeah, it's amazing. The small world. It really is. We were in the Bahamas at, a, at an automobile uh, car industry event. Uh, and uh yeah. We, we connected and, and followed up and, and then lo and behold, here we are. And then I, I was just mentioning to you before how Jim Cathcart, Jim Cathcart and I are good friends. He was mentioning you and Steve Rizzo. And I just connected with John uh, David Mann, the email recently. I want to talk to you about that later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the more you're out there connecting, helping and showing up, the more uh, great people show up. <laughs> my buddy joe ingram says he spoke to you at some event somewhere sounds classified <laughs> and then doug wings my best friend in the world i know you met him out in in uh, phoenix yes, great sir. great man yeah i've got doug wings coin right here he followed up and sent me a little doug wing care package and i said there you go yep i've got my you know it, it doesn't have the coolness of the never fly solo challenge coin but doug not that really great branding, uh, but uh, that was really kind of you to uh, to send that to me. And we need to connect. I just friended you on on uh, Facebook as well. There, there's our buddy Steve Rizzo. So Steve, I owe you a phone call today. So, so Waldo, I started this show. I guess it's been a little over four years ago now, and um, I, honestly, it was for selfish reasons, I was kind of in a stuck place in life. And, and I was like, you know what, if I just hear enough people tell their stories about how they got unstuck, I'll figure it out. And, and it's worked out that way for me. Yes, um, so, you know, I like to always start with just sharing a little bit about, you know, where it all started, like where you were born and raised. I'm, I'm reading your book. 
So I, I know where you were born and raised, but for those that don't know, why don't we start there? So I grew up uh, the, in the, the home of good-looking, obnoxious people like Steve Rizzo in, in Long Island, uh, uh, east side of New York, around 40 minutes from the city. I, you know, the non-standard New York place, deer in my backyard, fish hatcheries. I grew up racing dirt bikes, farmland. Absolutely loved growing up in New York, and it was a great place to to, to be a kid. You know, I have an identical twin brother and an older brother and sister, and just ha had a really fun uh, childhood surrounded by nature. But then we also had a city 40 minutes away and the ocean 15 minutes away. So it was, it was a great diverse environment. My dad was a mechanic at uh, Kennedy Airport in Queens. So I remember him taking me to the airport every once in a while and smelling the jet fuel and hearing the engines, uh, you know, blaring up and, and sitting in the cockpit. And uh, that's where I got the bug to fly. Uh, and just be around these amazing machines. And the more I learned about it, the more I learned about the military and the challenge and the relationships and, and the, you know, pushing yourself beyond your limits, the more enthralled I became with uh, trying to become a fighter pilot, going to the Air Force Academy and embarking on a, on a career uh, that now has, has served me very, very fruitfully. And so, uh, you know, Blue collar background, loving family. Not easy though. Uh, had some trauma growing up, just like all of us. And I know you have as well, Ken. It, it, it inspires and reveals character and humility and compassion. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my parents are still alive. They just celebrated their 64th anniversary yesterday. Uh, wow. My dad's 92. My mom's 87. And knock on table. So blessed to have them around. So. That's so incredible. So they, they, um, the growing up as a kid, I mean, did you, you know, I, I found myself in trouble a lot as a kid. I was, I was always going against the grain fighting the system. Um, you know, did you, did you find yourself in any situations as a kid where you were like, you know, having to make choices between right and wrong and, and and didn't always make the right choice oh 100 and, and you know 95 percent of the times i didn't get caught right so <laughs> I, I tell my 11 year old you know i said look your dad made a lot of mistakes too you know i didn't get caught uh, there were things i probably could have been thrown in prison for in all due respect i stole candy when i was a kid i shot uh you know bb guns at cars threw snowballs during the, the winter just stupid things and, and quite frankly you know, and I love my dad. He was a workaholic. He uh, wasn't home an, an, a lot. Uh, when you don't have the example of, of, of good peers or your family's not around that much, you don't have a true north. And I'm not saying my dad and mom weren't good parents. But, hey, when left to your own devices, kids are going to do kid things. So uh, the, the, the key here is creating environments where you can admit your mistakes uh, reveal your your uh, challenges and, and the issues in life that may cause trouble. And if you don't have a place to go, if you don't have a place to take off your mask and say, I messed up, I'm going to deal with the consequences, then you're either going to not fess up when you mess up or you're going to be around crowds that will inspire you to do things that aren't very noble and honorable. And so your peers... Uh, who you hang out with on the weekends, your mentors and friends are important. I have, I have a saying that I developed recently, make your friends your mentors and your mentors your friends. 
That's mm -hmm. why Steve Rizzo and hopefully you one day can, as we nurture this relationship, yeah. I want to be friends with people who push me, who piss me off, who challenge me, who are willing to bruise my ego because they love me and care enough about me to do so. And so if you're hanging out with yes men and yes women, then uh, I don't think that's a really good crowd. And so I learned that at an early age and I take it very seriously now and I teach that to my son. Uh, well, I'm blessed enough to be a father, you know, I'm blessed to be a father and I want him to be careful who he spends time with on the weekends, which is uh, a real big lesson my dad shared with me, although I don't didn't always take his advice as young kids. Often. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and I can assure you that if we do become friends, I have mastered the art of pissing my friends off. So, yeah. <laughs> but and and just ask my wife. My wife's on here. By the way, happy anniversary from her and I to your parents. That's, Thank you. That, that is amazing. Thank um, you. Our our daughter's birthday, twelfth birthday, was yesterday. So. Um, yeah, they share a good date there. I see you, uh, you, you've got some young kids around. I love it. I want to see yeah. if I can find a picture of mom and dad, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, what a blessing it really yeah. is. Yeah. Well, if you find a picture, feel free to click that share button. You can share it with us and I'll pop yeah. it up on screen. So, so as, as you grew up and, and you go to, you know, what's funny is I've only been in New York, like to Manhattan one time in my entire life and i drove from ohio out there and um i'll never forget i'm driving down 34th street it's like it's like november and they've got it all the the all decorated for christmas and i facetime my wife i'm like look at this i'm on 34th street she's been there a thousand times but i'm like you know typical tourist i'm driving my car down 34th facetiming my wife show her and i almost hit a traffic cop this woman was not happy with me so yeah but but every time i think somebody like steve you know talks about being from new york you talk i i, I think of gangs and shootings in the city <laughs> that's but that's not how you grew up that's not you were out in the country yeah and yeah exactly it's the new york that most people don't realize but you know, a lot of the folks from Brooklyn and Bronx and some of the more seedy areas in the 70s and 80s, you know, they, they moved out to, to Long Island. My dad and mom grew up in Brooklyn. So very, very uh, tough upbringings, old school values. Mm. Uh, my dad, like I said, you know, he was always saying, you know, be careful you spend time with on the weekends. Watch out for the drugs, the bad influencers. Mm. And uh, that like any major city out there, you're always going to have those influences and they, and they spread out like a virus. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so even though I grew up there, the parents of my friends and the older kids, they were street savvy and I became very street savvy. I, you know, I, I grew up as a Jewish guy in New York. Uh, I didn't know Jews had money until I got older. Right. I'm like, Oh dad, my dad was a mechanic. Right. And I mean that facetiously, but, you know, I was I was spit on a lot of uh, anti-Semitism that I experienced as a young kid. And I, I never made excuses about being in a Jewish family. I just said, I'm just working harder. You know, it's unfortunate today that people by the color of their skin, their sexuality, their religion are reprimanded and, and demeaned. And I am very, very, very uh, passionate about standards of excellence in life. I don't judge people by the color of their skin or their religion. I judge people by the way I see them act and how they treat me. Yeah. And when you look at 
accepting mediocrity in your life or inclusion for the sake uh, for the for the sake of inclusion or diversity for the sake of diversity then there's a problem we need diversity of thought different friends perspectives about life but if i don't like you it's not because the color of your skin or your sexuality it's because you're a butthead and <laughs> you don't deserve to be a wingman i'm passionate about this we need to assess who we spend time with and then look ourselves in the mirror and say, am I holding myself to that standard? And yeah. am, am I worthy? You know, we should never judge at the end of the day. My, my 11th grade English teacher, Miss Riley, I'll never forget her because we walk in the room and she was this, this older, very sophisticated, uh, you know, New Englander. And she said, uh, yeah. uh, she said, be critical without being judgmental. <laughs> And I remember her saying that, and she had the words on the board, and I'm like, what the heck is she talking about? <laughs> Criticism is good. Judgment is bad. Yeah. Criticism looks at the behavior. Judgment looks at the, at the, at the person. And so you never want to judge a person because you never know what's going on. So criticize the behavior, and some people deserve to be criticized positively and negatively. And as we look at ourselves as peers, as businessmen and women, as people who are trying to elevate our lives, we have to seek those people who are critical with us, but on not just in a negative manner, but in positive uh, positive manners as well, because that's what inspires us. But we need to uh, be critical and not judgmental. And I just believe that very, very uh, passionately these days. I, I wonder, you know, when, when so you, you go through high school i'm assuming you graduated high school um you you go on is that because in your book you talk about your dad sat you in the cockpit of a boeing 737 i think you said 47 actually 47 okay yes. even bigger so so you sit in the cockpit you're flipping switches asking him what's this what's this and 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 you say in your book that that was the moment that something clicked for you and you were like, this is my life. This is what I'm going to do. So did you know from that moment on, like, I'm going to be a pilot, I'm going to fly F-16s? So I knew I wanted to be a pilot, uh, but I didn't know, obviously, that as an 11-year-old kid or so, that I'd be able to get into the, the Air Force or a fighter plane. I just knew I was fascinated by aviation. When I was a kid playing soccer, my twin brother and I, would call out all the planes in the skies. You know, there's a 727, a DC-8, if you remember the 70s and 80s. Yeah. The DC-9, the, K, the DC-10, all those old school planes that I called them out. So I became passionate. And what, what your passion does is it, it focuses you. And, you know, so I talk to people, hey, you want to be a pilot, you better be pretty good in school. Right? You better you better be, uh, if you want to go to the Air Force Academy and be in the military, you better be well-rounded. So I got involved in sports. Uh, I graduated at the top of my class in high school. I was kind of a, uh, kind of a athlete, but also liked hanging out with the weirdos, right? I, I love hanging out with the outliers, yeah. both on the, on the, you know, the, uh, the guys and gals who would, you know, wear, you know, the, the, the drug, drug users for that matter, like the folks <laughs> hang out with, but I was always fascinated when I became, right. I didn't do drugs, but I wanted to get to know the other side of the fence, so to speak. And then I hung out with the nerds as well. Um, but I always marched to my own beat. Anybody who knows me knows that Walter Walden has his own standards. I'm not a, a, I don't like to 
acquiesce to the common crowd. Um, but I pushed myself to make the right decisions, to spend as much time as I could be with smart, passionate, disciplined friends. Uh, but I was always fortunate, like I said, to to make some mistakes, but not go over the edge. Right. Um, and I, we all watched our peers do things that that got them in a lot of trouble. That that uh, you know that kind of impacted their career. And, and I, I was fortunate that number one, like I said, I didn't get caught. Number two, as I got older, I was like, hey, man, th- my career is important. Where I want to be in my future is important. Let me make sure I make sharp decisions and say no when I want to say yes because. Uh, that, that often kind of is a catalyst to a future. And some people fall prey to bad decisions, like I said. You know? That's so important, especially in today's world. Uh, well, I, I, maybe it's, maybe it's a, 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 in the history of mankind, but, but you know, uh, say no when I want to say yes. <laughs> that's so important because I think we live in a society today that's a lot different than that. So, so. So talk about you, you go, you, you get out of high school. Is that you entered college? Did you enter an ROTC program or did you, did you just go straight college? How'd that work? The Air Force Academy, which you need a congressional nomination and top of your class. Like I said, I I was, I had a really, I was top of my class, right? And and I was fortunate. So you have to compete to get into the Air Force Academy. And I was fortunate to get an appointment. uh, And then, um, you know, it's four very difficult years as a 33% washout rate. Uh, you learn about life and relationships and physical fitness and character. And the academic load was extremely intense. Um, so so I learned to put my passion to use. And, you know, when you're hanging out at the Air Force Academy, everybody there is a, is a top gun, right? Everybody there is a high performer. Yeah. We're not very used to failing. You're dealing with the best in class. So now I'm no longer the, 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 the top. I'm kind of average within a sea of amazing men and women. And so uh, I started uh, really refining my leadership flight plan and learning from these amazing folks, these unsung heroes from farmlands in Omaha, Nebraska, the city boys and girls in New York, right? From all mm-hmm. over. Yeah. So the seasoning, the texture of relationships at the Air Force Academy, the diversity of, of background, but the commonality of culture, of focus, of discipline, work ethic, integrity, uh, commitment, all those core values that make a great military and a great country. Now imagine just being witness to all of these men and women and being influenced by them. And so my standards became higher and I said, wow, I better work harder because it was friendly competition. And if your peers aren't pushing you and if you're not competing in some way uh, to be better than them in some way and to, to humble yourself when they kick your butt, then once again, uh, you're probably not hanging out with a good crowd. So that that was kind of the impetus to really learning about wingman relationships, trusted partners, which then spawned off when I eventually earned my wings and went operational, uh, often putting my life on the line in combat. Wow. So, so you, you are, how, how old are you at that point? 21, 22 when you, yeah, when 20, you I, I think I was 22 years old, uh, uh, you know, wet behind the ears. And then I became, uh, you know, I went to pilot training. I was fortunate to be selected and I graduated at the top of my class, but there was only one fighter 
and uh, Andy Toth, that son of a bitch, got that fighter, right? Uh, he's a great dude. He retired as a two-star general. And the next best thing was to be an instructor. If you didn't want to be a heavy driver, like a C-17 tanker pilot, whatever, you became an instructor. And they said, Waldo, we love your personality. You, you, you're a great guy. We want you to teach. And so I became an instructor to some young men and women who were graduating the academy or ROTC, et cetera, afraid passionate about being flying but afraid to wash out and some of them had a lot of trepidation others lived their whole life for this moment to become a pilot and so i was teaching them how to fly which was such a blessing because now you have uh this this young soul who you're able to mold not just on a on a core value aspect or a leadership aspect but now you got to teach skills you have to teach uh handling pressure and contingency planning like we dealt with right before jumping on this call right yeah you know and so operating in stressful environments and performing in those stressful environments is the key to a high performer because you can have a great attitude and positive motivated uh courageous but when you're in a situation where you must perform yeah. and it's headwinds and missiles and fear and doubt and challenge that is where uh, peak performance is inspired or perhaps uh, you know, degraded because you just don't have the skill set or the mindset to handle it. So you were, you, you were teaching this at, at 22? Yeah, yeah. I graduated pilot training, year, year of pilot training. Then I went to uh, San Antonio to learn how to be an instructor. Wow. And so probably 23, 24, I became a fully certified instructor it takes it takes some training you just don't pop back in so there was there was some training involved in that before i got mission qualified to be an instructor but i was a young guy you know and i just so you did you weren't go ahead sorry you there's a little delay sorry about that so you weren't you 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 hadn't done all the combat missions at that point no no so i became an instructor before i became a fighter pilot. I'm looking up a, an individual here. So I was teaching folks how to fly. And then, by the way, I taught the teachers, meaning you were an operational pilot, fighter pilot, tanker pilot, heavy pilot. And then they brought you back to Air Education and Training Command to be an instructor. You've got to become certified on how to instruct. And there has to be teachers to teach you how to instruct. So what I loved was uh, teaching men and women who already had their wings how to instruct. So teaching the teachers. And that was where I, I, I absolutely loved because that's basically what you also do, Ken, you know, teaching technology and social media and tools and you're teaching keynoters and coaches how to leverage uh, their acumen and skill set and technology. So, so it's a different mindset. Yeah. Um, and I love that because getting into the mind of somebody and learning how they learn, how to best instruct somebody, what's their background, what motivates them. Some people yeah. need to get their butt kicked. Some people need to be, you know, very, very intense. That's the way they learn. Others, it's like, okay, let me nurture this relationship a little more, kind of marinate the stake of feedback, I call it. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a really, really great lesson. Uh, and I did that before. I eventually got to the F-16. 
So, so you, you, how long did, were you a flight instructor? Uh, four and a half years total. Okay. And then, then well, I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm pretty excited to get into the, the flying F-16s part. Um, but, but so then you, where did you go after that, after the flight instructor thing? I was fortunate enough to, to uh, be at the top of my class as an instructor. Yeah. And they said, basically, you can fly any jet you want. We're going to rank order you. You've earned the right to choose. Wow. You choose a C-17, which is brand new in the mid-90s, uh, four-engine, modern cargo plane, live in Charleston, South Carolina, Seattle, travel the world, uh, big roomy cockpit, you know, be bored out of your freaking mind. <laughs> yeah. Or... Fly the F-16, your dream jet, Waldo. Single seat, single engine, seven-hour night combat missions in a tiny little cockpit barely able to move. Why do oh I say Oh, my gosh. Here's the kicker, folks. And now we're going to get into some beef here. Because three years into my flying career as a young instructor, I almost died in a scuba diving accident. I was uh, in, my, or in the Caribbean scuba diving with some buddies of mine. Yeah. First time I'd ever been. And five seconds into the water, I had a panic attack. First of all, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was using my arms. The lactic acid was building up. I was freaking out because my muscles started to freeze up and I couldn't move. And I began to sink in the water, 10, 20, 30, 40 feet. Jeez. And then my mask inadvertently separates and I inhale a whole lungful of burning, stinging salt water. Uh. And I'll, I'll never for the life of me forget the, the burning of my lungs. I freaked out, choking into the mask, wondering if I was going to choke in more water. So I had something called a panic attack. Yeah. Never wow. knew what one was. I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I'm like, I got to get the hell, heck out of the water. And, and I absolutely freaked out. No combat mission I ever flew in my life ever could come close to that fear. So I got out of the water center, never doing that again. And just a few days later, I'm flying in the T-37 from Enid, Oklahoma, where I was based, down to Shreveport, and then up to New York. And then there was those typical Texas, Louisiana thunderstorms. And the weather was terrible, socked into the clouds. We call it flying through mushroom soup because you can't see the sun, you can't see the ground. And long story short, I have a, another panic attack. Basically, wow. instead of being 35 feet under the water now, I'm 35,000 feet in the air and absolutely freaked out, realized there was nothing wrong with the cockpit, but there was everything wrong with me. And I realized I had something called claustrophobia, which is probably not a good thing for a pilot to have. Right? <laughs> Unless you're in a C-17. <laughs> yeah, C-17, you can walk into the back and take a nap, but for, for in a small aircraft, you don't have anywhere to move. Oh, my God. So the reason why I say that is I developed this claustrophobia, this anxiety, these panic attacks that stayed with me for my entire career. And I, I couldn't share it with anyone. It was kind of like my little hidden secret. I would fly, especially cross country, especially at night and in the weather. I'd have these little micro panic attacks that used to last for a minute or two, and they eventually broke down to maybe 10 or 30 seconds. And so I had to learn how to operate despite this fear, operate this despite this anxiety and phobia. 
And many of the folks who are possibly watching this have had some phobias and incidents as children, some panic attacks. Maybe you had, you had cancer or going through a divorce or some other issue in your life that's causing you to wake up paralyzed and and in and, and a hanger of doubt and uncertainty. And so I became so maniacal about my, my fear and uh, this, this claustrophobia that I became maniacal about being a great instructor. As long as I was distracted on from myself and was teaching, helping, coaching, then I wasn't thinking about myself. Right. I realized I could get into the flow when I was helping people which is why uh, the last two years of being an instructor pilot, I became top of my class and was ranked so high, but people didn't know the shit storm God, you know, pardon my French that I was going through. Right. Didn't know that this instructor who was best in class, if I wasn't focused on them, that I would have this panic attack at night or in the weather or teaching them how to fly instruments in, 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 in clouds. So operating, yeah. Through this fear was it was eventually became a gift. It's really the impetus to resilience because it's not just about listening to music or meditating or smelling a flower that allows you to deal with fear and, and panic and and change. It's exposing yourself to these anxiety provoking issues, flying through them, and focusing on other people in the process so that you can you can build this resilience muscle, which is very very important in life. You know, it's absolutely amazing to me that number one, your, your, your level of awareness of, of yourself, like you're, you're, you realize that, that, that it was all of that fear. We'll just say fear. We'll, we'll wrap it in fear. All that fear is what made you top of class. That, that was the motivator. That's incredible, man. Yeah. So, and you got to ask yourself, what fear is in your life? You know, what panic attack or anxiety provoking situation? You know, I also, you know, was afraid of heights. It's also in my book, you know, how to jump off a 33 feet high diving board to graduate. So all these fears are potential blockades to your future, but they're also openings and channels and conduits to, to success. But you need the courage and the commitment to break through them. Yeah. And that's what life is about. And that's what I really teach in my seminars and in my coaching. How do you break those walls, right? Yeah. The, the, right. How do you break through those walls? Because on the opposite side of that fear, on the opposite side of that wall is growth. On the opposite yeah. side is where life is. And if you are faced with those anxiety-provoking situations and you have a dream to fulfill and a passion in your heart and, and a service mindset, then you've got to be willing to break through those walls because that's where life is. That's where peak performers are. That's where money and success and freedom and health lie. Yeah. And you just gotta, you just gotta suffer a little bit and uh, turn those anxiety provoking moments into, into opportunities for growth. Think back to, to your days of being 24, 25 years old and you're, you're an instructor you're seeing, and I've seen this, we've all seen this, um, Facebook user equals Tammy. Um, oh, that's Tammy, Thrasher Mitchell, Tammy. <laughs> she said Facebook user equals Tammy. So, so the people that came that you were instructing and you knew 
this is this guy is gonna be a rock star pilot. This is this dude is and and he washed out. Mm -hmm. There had to be guys like that, right? It was such a tragedy because you know, you had your dream, they had their dream in your hands many times. Yeah. And, and so when you look at the world of of call it military or healthcare for that matter, or anybody that you're partnering with or teaching you or going through some type of training program, you don't want the mediocre to get through because of they're a nice guy or just because we need to fulfill a quota. Yeah. We can't do that. And I have to say no to a lot of good, good men and women, great leaders who just didn't have the skill set to fly jets. Didn't mean that they weren't uh, capable. Didn't mean that they should, should, paint their life as a failure right so many times in life we're going to be facing this and every one of us had any every one of us have dealt through some some life-changing rejection or failure in their life that changed the trajectory of their future and guess what that is your future that is where you're going you can't look back in doubt and you have to just pick yourself up and say what is my new path what is the new gift that i could give let me give you an example I overcame that those panic attacks, and, and uh, Sanjay Gupta of CNN did a special story for me on me yeah. some years ago. If, if you Google it, you could probably find out Walter Walmart claustrophobia, and there's some articles on it as well. But a lot of kids from all over the world and pilots, uh, combat pilots, contact me and said, Waldo, I'm a Belgian fighter pilot. I'm dealing with the same issues and claustrophobia that you had. I don't know what to do. I had a, a, a pilot in the Air National Guard. I won't share his name. I'll call him John, uh, but that's not his name. And he reached out to me, he flew in the Air National Guard, and he was having panic attacks as a helicopter pilot. Successful instructor, mm. successful search and rescue pilot, but one day he went out on a search and rescue mission as, in, as a, uh, in a, a civilian search and rescue. It was in a car accident, and they had a medevac, this young girl, in the back of that uh, helicopter to a hospital. Mm -hmm. now, John had a daughter around the same age as this young girl. And he was thinking about, what if that was my kid? Mm. Long story short, it broke and revealed this panic and anxiety in him. He couldn't fly the plane. They had to have the co-pilot, et cetera, take off and fly. And he could not get back in the cockpit after that. And he called me. He's like, well, I don't know what to do. My dream, my life is flying helicopters. And now I can't even strap into it. He became depressed. He became suicidal. And so I coached him for a year and a half. And ultimately what I shared with him is that it's okay to quit. Mm. You've done this in the past. You've done your, you've given your gift. Now it's time for you to open up a new door, a new chapter in your life and create a new gift with your experience. And so I said, it's time for you to quit with honor. And he became a great instructor in the simulator teaching folks how to fly. He became a great coach to his peers. He stayed in the military another seven years. He literally just retired a year and a half ago. And essentially, I'm not bragging, but I, I saved his life because he realized there was other joys and gifts that he could give mm. as opposed to staying in the cockpit and being miserable and depressed and anxious. You don't have to fly every mission, folks. It's okay to quit with honor. As long as you've given your best and tried your hardest to stay in that cockpit or whatever that is in your life. But there's another gift, another opportunity. And as you evolve and season your life with age and experience, 
you know, the older we get, I'm sure you can relate, Ken, and all your listeners. Yeah. When you become a parent, you have different fears now. When you <laughs> you're 50, like things that didn't bother you before kind of bother you more. You become more compassionate, perhaps a little bit more afraid in some areas, and then you become more passionate and courageous in others. And yeah. so that's called life. That's called evolving and shifting and finding your 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 meaning and your mission in other areas as opposed to staying in the cockpit, miserable and depressed in your current job, perhaps, where it's time for you to break out of that and do something else that gives more meaning uh, in your life. Sorry to go off on that, but it's really- No, I, I, I'm, I love it. It's inspiring. The comments are, are lighting up over here too. So, so you, you, um, the people that, that, that came in though, that, you you know that they they weren't giving it their all when yeah. i had brian tracy on the show i asked him i said you know people people can hear all of these things about affirmations i totally believe in affirmations and and all of the things to keep you positive and 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 move the ball down the field um but but and they'll they'll listen to you they'll listen they'll listen they'll hear you talking today and they know that you're right and they know they need to take these actions, but they don't, they stay comfortable. And, and, and I, again, I come, I completely understand that, but how do you get people to leave their comfort zone? Cause you know, I know that real success, the real thrills of life are out there outside of our comfort zone. Sure. How do you get people, how do you motivate people to get the heck out of there and, and take different actions in their lives? So it's a great question. And um, complacency kills, you know, it kills fighter pilots who think they're too cool for school not to evolve and prepare and train and continuously get better. It kills relationships and, and careers and cost sales, et cetera. And so peak performers, folks who want more out of their life, who wake up every day saying, I want to get better, I want to grow, have to put in the work. That's why I don't believe attitude determines altitude. It's important, it's critical, courage, resilience, mindset's important, but ultimately attitude plus action determines altitude. You have to put your attitude into action and, and, and can't, you can't be all thrust and no vector, right? You have to take direction and take action. And, and do what we did in the military, we, we sweat in peace so we don't bleed in war. Mm. So those who are putting in the time, who are studying, getting uncomfortable with tools and technologies, joining mastermind groups, reading, going, through the, uh, going to the gym, watching your health and fitness, all those efforts, the calorie burning, both mentally and physically, that results in the good. And you have to be willing to do that. Because we, the world needs, needs more performers and less philosophers, more activators, not attitude, uh, folks with just great attitude. So I, I believe in that intensely, and you've got to be willing to put in the work. But what happens a lot of times is we become, we become what we, what, what, you know, uh, you know have, a, have a fixed mindset instead of a growth mindset. Uh, uh, Schweib, I can't remember her, her name. She wrote the book on, on uh, the growth mindset. Carol Schweck, actually, Dr. Carol Schweck. Okay. And so fixed mindset says, I'm good at this. I'm staying in my comfort zone. I'm not going to break out of that. A growth mindset says, I'm willing to go through some pain to achieve some peace, to achieve the freedom, the wealth, the success. Yeah. And so 
the thing that will be the impetus to you is finding out what's on the other side of that. I, I mentioned meaning to your mission, the why before you fly, right? Yeah. What you need to do is tap into what, what truly people are fighting for, what's on the opposite side of that fear. And when you're in the cockpit flying around all the time, you kind of lose sight of it. You don't really, you, you forget why you do what you do, why you're passionate about it. Quick example, you're on that 33 feet high diving board, staring, uh, staring down, afraid to, to jump because you're afraid of heights. Yep. And you know, in order to graduate the academy to become a pilot, you've got to jump. If you don't have something on the opposite side of that diving board that you're willing to jump for, your child, your future, a dream, your, your, your freedom, then you're not going to be able to do it. And if you're a parent with a young child in the water screaming, mommy, daddy, help me, you are going to jump off that 30, 50, 100 foot diving board because you understand it's not about you. It's about that child. It's about your love and it's about your future and having something greater than yourself. This is why when I flew in combat and even in my training missions, when I distracted myself and focused on others, I was in the zone and found joy in that. When you find joy in making a difference in other people's lives, giving, coaching, nurturing, lifting, yeah. teaching, and the gift comes back to you, and you experience that amazing joy, you realize that's what life is all about. It may initially come in the form of a check or an accolade or an opportunity or a promotion. But ultimately, the joy that we regret, that the meaning comes on the impact that we're having on other people. And this is PhD level thinking that you can't get while you're in the fight, struggling to make the next sale, struggling to become an entrepreneur or, you know, grow your business. You yeah. must become introspective and often get around folks who can help you peel back the onion in your life and say, OK, Joe, Sabrina, Mike, Lisa. What is it that you're really fighting for? What do you really want in life? And it takes time and often a great mentor and coach and friend and trusted partner to help you go deep inside. And I think we all go through that all the time. We often shift gears and we need to find that meaning in our mission. And it, it changes in our life as we get older and experience more. So I, I, I love what I, I, I preach this only because I, I learned it through my own pain um, that if, if your life is not going well, go weed somebody's flower beds, so go, go help somebody else get the heck out of yourself because your problems diminish when you're helping other people solve their problems. They, they just, and it's magical. They literally just start disappearing. Like it's, it's crazy. So I, 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 we're on the same exact page with that. I totally agree. So, so you, uh, eventually you ended up in a, um, in a, in an F-16, um, fighter jet and you're flying missions. You've flown 65 missions in, in Serbia and Iraq. Yes. Um, can you talk about any of that? Like what was what was that like the very first time you went on um your very first combat mission i mean what what was it what was going through your head what what was it like 
So when, when you know somebody's trying to kill you, it kind of changes your perspective really, really quickly, right? I can't even imagine. You realize that you're like, yeah, I'm pretty happy that I went through some intense training. I'm kind of glad that I was under that at the Air Force Academy. They kicked my butt and made me perform under pressure. I'm really glad that my instructor failed me on this ride when I was when I was when I was in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, flying through the mountains, and I lost sight of my altimeter, and I almost hit a mountain by 75 feet. Pretty glad he failed me and pissed me off because he knew one day I'd be in combat. Wow. And so you look back on your training and you say, okay, the more you sweat, the less you bleed. It always goes back to the training. It always goes back to the disciplines and the character and capabilities that, that's, that you have to depend on the most important wingman or wingman there is yourself. Yeah. So when you strap into this tiny little cockpit, you've got to have trust in yourself and confidence in yourself to know you can do the job. And if you don't have that confidence, you'd have no right to be in the jet, number one, and you have no right to be flying with others who were depending on you, because that's the key. When I was flying in combat, others were depending on me. And so wow. when I was out on that, on the, I remember my first combat mission, walking to my jet, cotton mouth, diarrhea five minutes before, I'm like, holy shit, I gotta go out here and do this mission. Ugh. When you think about others that are depending on you, the fact that all that training is boiling up to this one or five or eight hour flight, you will realize the inordinate responsibility for you to earn your damn wings, that flying jets and being a cool top gun doesn't mean anything until you're put to the test. And so your commitment in life, your excellence, your passion, your skills, it's only put to use when the, 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 you're across the forward edge of the battle area and your master arm is hot and the stakes are high. Wow. So being able to perform under pressure, realizing that you have your training to fall back on. And ultimately, and this is why I talk about never flying solo, knowing that you have folks who are on your wing, who are checking your six, your blind spots, right? If you look at the screen in a tiny cockpit, you can't see behind you. You don't know mm -hmm. if you're leaving fuel or on fire. But if you have somebody checking your six, looking over their shoulder, they can see your blind spot. They can see if you're being shot at or somebody's trying to sneak up on you or you're on fire. And so the confidence that's a byproduct of saying, you know what, I'll fly with Doug and Sabrina and Joe and Lisa and Mike. Hey, I've got Tammy on my wing. She's got my six. She's checking. She's backing me up and I'm backing her up now my confidence comes up because we're flying together, we're collaborating. And this builds confidence. This is the impetus and the true crux of teamwork and trust, which starts with us and spans to others. So the culture of the team, the fact that we weren't flying solo, that we were coaching and mentoring each other, that we were lifting each other up, especially when we were in the dungeon of doubt and fear, getting ready to fly, scared to death saying, hey, yeah. I'm not going to let you down, Doug. I'm not going to let you down, uh, Joe. I've got your back. You can depend on me. And you may be in the dungeon of doubt experiencing an engine fair, but I'm going to lift you up and encourage you. And so when we do that in our life and find others who are having engine fairs and flame outs, and also to be able to take our mask off and say, you know what? I need help. Mayday, mayday. Mm. I'm confident enough in myself 
to be humble and 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 uh, congruent with with uh, with my humanity to say, you know, I can't fly this mission today. I need somebody to help me. And so this is the crux of great relationships. And I know why you can through your relationships and your your passions are, have been able to create such a network because I know you're a giver based on what I've seen. Uh, there's people who are watching this right now who are what I call wing givers, giving their wings away. And so that's kind of what I really learned in combat, that your fear dissipates when you know others are there for you. That's, dude, that is so incredible. I just called you dude. I'm sorry, sir. That is so incredible. Um, so, so, uh, wow. So you ended up flying 65 different missions. Um, I, I can't even imagine. And by the way, thank you for your service. If I haven't said that, I, I'm, I'm, if I have any regret, it's that I didn't, I didn't serve in the military. I was supposed to, I was going in on the buddy system with my best friend and he went and I bailed. <laughs> so, I think he still hates me for that. But, um, you know, I, um, for the person that's watching, you know, I, I, I'm always curious that when, when it comes down to achieving real financial success, real happiness and freedom in life. And I do think those are related because I've been broken homeless and I've been wealthy and wealthy is way, way better for the person that's, that's watching um, that th they just can't figure it out. Like what do you think is stopping most people from achieving real financial success and, and real freedom in life. They need to create a context of what that success looks like. Your mind can't fat. You, you can't emulate and manifest something in your life unless you create it in your mind first. And I don't want to get too metaphysical here or spiritual, but I believe in it deeply and passionately. Many folks don't have a true north and something in which they can aspire to. They have a mindset ceiling, as Dan Sullivan calls it, mm. where they, they just think of them, they're, they're blocked here and they know they can go up, they can go higher. And they need, they need something in their life, reality, a, 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 a destination that they could achieve, a financial goal, an objective that they could accomplish. And maybe they've been so beaten down by failures that they're so focused on those failures instead of focusing on the small wins. I call it envisioning the victory. You got to envision landing your jet after an eight-hour mission, dodging the missiles, taking out targets, dealing with your claustrophobia, coming back and being joyful because you kicked ass. You overcame yourself. You've got to envision the victory and feel it running through your blood. What is it like to get a $10,000 check or make $100,000 a month or a million dollars a year? Look at it, envision it, and then get around others who are doing that as well. Most importantly, you need a, you need a mentor, a coach, a peer who's achieving it and who can encourage you and show you this is the way. Yeah. I've done it. You could do it too. And sit down and create and manifest that future. And so many folks just don't have that context in life. This is why I call it, you know, setting the vector of your day, reading something spiritual, enlightening, having a particular goal of the day or of that month, a financial goal, a relationship goal, a health goal, something that's measurable 
that you can look back on and said, I did it. I accomplished this and take those small wins and, 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 and catapult you into the next level. And then once again, to share with your teammates, somebody wrote, you know, your circle, your circle of friends, your wingmen, your trusted partners, your peers, your squadron, and get around those folks. Here's the kicker for folks who don't think that they've earned that right. Everyone watching this or listening to this has a gift. It may not be financial gift. It may be a relationship gift. It may be your health and fitness. It may be your ability to be a great spouse. Uh, uh, you're a great athlete, a great uh, uh Whatever it is, you know, maybe there's some gift and skill in your life. You're an amazing musician or a financial guru when it comes to accounting. Get around other like-minded individuals who have different skill sets who could augment and supplement yours. You have something to give. I don't care how many fairs and how many negative things you've had in your life. Give, share that diamond of content, and then be humble enough to ask others for help and then honor them by taking the actions and the advice that they give you. Don't waste their freaking time. Because if you look at your mastermind group and the peers that you're hanging out with, we all have folks who, who we give advice to, but they're not taking the action. They're wasting time and they're, they're just sitting around philosophizing and crying or laughing and they're not doing the hard work necessary to achieve success in life. So. Wow. Do the work, surround yourself with people, and then set those goals and then and find others to hold you accountable and make sure they're hugging you when you kick ass and then kicking you in the butt and pushing you if you're not. And if you don't earn those wings, uh, then you're just going to be pushed out of that group. And so you gotta, you, you, you've got to earn your wings. There are no gifts in, in, in life. You have to earn, earn it all and eventually give those, give those gifts that you eventually earn to, to others who are, uh, who need you as well. So, so powerful. I mean, powerful. And, and, you know, the, I, I'm friends with a guy that runs the suicide prevention. Um, I don't know what, um, company group, whatever here for the state of Ohio. And, um, you know, we were talking at the beginning of the, the whole pandemic thing, suicide rates skyrocketed globally and you know i think about like man if if you had a chance to talk to somebody that feels like they've given life everything and and they're hanging on by a thread what would you say to them what would you say to get them through to the next moment where we know it's going to get better but they don't Two days ago, I found out a friend of mine killed himself. Oh, my God. Wow. And so this hits home with me tremendously. Uh, I went through a love course, a uh, thing called the Center for Inner Knowing in Atlanta, Georgia, back in 2006. I was single at the time. I knew I wanted to be married. I knew I had some issues in my life, some some folks uh, that drug me down. I knew I had some some issues I had to deal with. Yeah. And he was one of my coaches. He was like, they surround you with a couple of coaches and he was my guy. And he took me through this, this, this uh, gestalt type of therapy course. And, and we befriended each other and he became my, uh, my buddy. Uh, we hung out for 10 years and then uh, long story short, uh, you know, I got married and we, we didn't spend as much time together over the last few years, but I just spoke to him a couple months ago. 
he had a very difficult relationship. He suffered with some depression in his life. He wasn't, he didn't reveal, he didn't take off his mask enough to, to diffuse his depression, to diffuse his anxiety. He was afraid to kind of take his burden and put it on someone else. <clears throat> yeah. Many of us have this. And I wish I had reached out to him more. It's funny because I was going through my junk drawer and I found a picture of me and him from that, that center for an unknowing. It was a Polaroid picture. We, I cut it out and I had it for years. So since 2005, I remember looking at it and said, I haven't talked to this guy. I won't share his name in probably six months. And I don't really spend that much time with him. I, I don't really, I'm not buddies with him as, as much because he has his kids. I have mine and we're just, we're just not disconnected. I was going to throw the photo away. I'm like, ah, I just got to get rid of my crap. Yeah. I looked at it and I'm like, no, I, I got to keep it. And I kept it in the draw. This was probably a few weeks ago, approximately because he died June 2nd. Wow. And so it was a sign for me, perhaps, to reach out to him. And maybe it was a sign through the universe to say, contact this guy and, and reach out to your friend who you haven't connected with. Maybe he was calling out for help. Mm. When we take our friends for granted, number one, and number two, when we feel we're locked into this cockpit of life by ourselves, dealing with panic attacks, flying through a shit storm and dodging missiles, et cetera, and we're not willing to step out of our cockpit and ask somebody for help and say, I'm going through a tough time right now. I'm depressed. I'm scared. Waldo, can you be there for me or just listen? That's when we do things like take our lives and that's when depression happens and, and, and uh, we, we manifest illness in our lives and it bubbles up in certain areas. So I would do two things. Number one, think about those people in your life who have made an impact on you and just reach out to them. Even if you haven't talked to them in six months or a year, let them know you're there. Send them a text. Pick up the phone even more important. Even if it's a minute conversation, you never know who's going to be in the hangar of doubt, paralyzed by fear and in the dungeon of despair. And number two, you're never that much of a top gun where you in your bad day or your day of depression and it all comes where you shouldn't reach out to somebody and say, hey, look, man, I need a hug, a virtual hug. I need you to kick me in the butt. I need you to kind of give me a little bit of inspiration. You don't need to tell them you're depressed. You don't need to necessarily tell them that you're in the dungeon of doubt, but give others the opportunity and the gift and blessing of helping you. And when you ask for help and reveal a weakness and give somebody the gift of inspiring you and enlightening you and sharing light in this, in this world of dark, then that's a gift that may mean give meaning to them and fluff their feathers and give them wings to fly and give them more of an impetus to, to deal with more of their fears as well. So uh, it's a two it's a it's a two way street, and uh, I wish I did that for my buddy. And uh, it just reminds me how volatile life is, and how much we can make a difference if we just take the signs and pick up the phone, and mm -hmm. uh, and also not take for granted those folks who are, who are in our lives who we care about. Wow. <clears throat> well, I'm I'm very sorry for for the loss of your your friend and. For you and his his family yes um you know i think that um you're you're so right man i i it's one of the hardest things for me 
for me, I'm a recovered alcoholic coming up on 20 years sober. And, and, and I had to learn a long time ago that the only way out is ask for help. I mean, it really is. So, um, I love what you just said and you're a thousand percent correct. And, and Waldo, thank you so much. I, I, I know we're, we're out of time now, but, um, I am so grateful to have had you on the show today. I feel like we, I, I, we're going to do an Amazon live. So everybody watching, um, we, I, we're going to figure that out and, and put together an Amazon live with, with Colonel Waldo Waldman here. So, um, go get his book. Can you hold up your book? So, so everybody can see a gift to everybody here. So my book never fly solo, New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. If you go to my website, yourwingman.com, you can you can find out more about me. You Google Walter Waldman on social media. But I'm giving everybody a gift here. Oh, uh, my! I'm going to put up my audio book. Uh, this is the – if you take out your phone, that's a QR code to my audio book. You get it for free. Otherwise, you can go to uh, uh, Audible and download it for 20 bucks. But this is the audio book. You can go also go to that link. And get the book there, yourwingmen.com forward slash NFS. I have it scrolling across the bottom of the screen yes, as well. Yes, and you'll so, also get you'll also get five videos on 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 resilience. I'll put this thing up. Oh here. wow! The resilience challenge. Um, there's uh, th there are three to five minute videos on dealing with change and and uh, courage and relationships. You'll get that as well, and then you'll have an opportunity to like there's a little Ace Academy, a little. Uh, uh, a video series that you can subscribe to as well. But this is the way to stay in touch with me and get uh, connected with me on social media and Facebook uh, and, tw and Twitter and all that other stuff. But uh, there's so much to talk about. Look, it's hard because everybody wants to know the tactics and fighter pilot stuff. Yeah. I can talk about that all day. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're human beings behind our jobs. We're men and women behind our titles. And I'm glad that you were able to inspire in me just to something that to kind of reveal a little bit of uh of humanity. That's what we need more than ever. Uh, we need humanity and heart and we need hard freaking work and we need discipline and peers. You know, I always say God rested on the seventh day, which meant on the six others, he worked his darn tail off. Yeah. And, 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 and you're not God. <laughs> right. Right. So it's like, dude, God rested. You're not God. Keep working. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But, but hey, you are amazing. And Tammy Thrasher Mitchell, thank you so much. I was having a conversation with her and I said, I really want to have Waldo on my show. And she's like, well, let me make that connection. <laughs> I was like, really? So thank you, Tammy. I'm so grateful for you. And, and, and this has been phenomenal. So thank you so much. Everybody go to yourwingman.com forward slash NFS for never fly solo and 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 what is it they get for free i was typing trying to type that out they get the book and then they get a resilience challenge five videos on dealing with change and uh overcoming obstacles and adversities i think everybody could use a little bit in their life um wow yeah so thank you Danny, for, for for the uh for the uh for the gift of the relationship she she emulates excellence and relationships in your life. And Ken, I, I look forward to getting to know you better. I, I scrolled through all your stuff and you have amazing interviews. And I hope we get a chance to shake hands in person and break some bread uh, or grab a beer and get to know I, each other. I want to, I want to, I want to come and see you speak at 
the 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 tour that you're doing so i i definitely want to want to want to do that one of these days very soon so waldo thank you so much i appreciate you coming on um am i allowed to call you waldo or do i need to call you oh, colonel you, no waldo is, is perfect i prefer it just don't call me wingnut <laughs> <laughs> stay with me if you would i'm yeah. gonna end the live stream you and i'll finish up here in a second but if you'll hang tight for for a minute um, let me finish this up. And, and I want to say thank you to you one more time. Um, you're incredible. Everybody go follow Waldo everywhere on social media, go to the website, get his free gifts and, and buy his stuff too. I mean, it's a wall street journal and New York times best-selling book. And I'm in chapter two or three right now. And it's phenomenal. So get the book. It's it's a great book. So, Walter, thank you so much. Everybody have a great day, and we will see you later. Push it up.